doing today? A bit miserable when it, we woke up this morning. A bit of rain. I felt like, oh man, grey skies. But the sun is back. So when you get outside later, it's going to be a lovely day. So um, my name's Rob. For those of you that don't know me, it's great to be sharing with you this morning. Um, we are coming to the end of a series entitled Risk Takers. So I just want to throw out a question to you this morning. Has anyone been inspired to take a risk these last few weeks? Oh, wow. Only like two people. <laughs> okay, so a lot rests on this talk right now. So, Lord help me. Um, so last week, Dave, um, oh, he is our kids and families pastor. He shared on taking a risk with the next generation. And if you weren't around, we had such a great time. You know, kids served on teams, uh, led the services, played and led us in worship as well. And it was so good. It was so good. Um, do listen back to the talk. You can find that on riversidevineyards.com slash talks. Um, do have a listen back to what Dave shared. Some great stories of what God is doing amongst our children and our young people. Really exciting to hear that. But this morning, we are going to be looking at how we can take a risk to welcome others. Um, we're going to be reading from the book of Acts this morning, um, and we will pick up the story in a bit in chapter 15. Um, but let me just set the scene for us a little bit. So we, we um, encounter Paul and Barnabas. Um, these are two amazing guys in the early church. They've been preaching the gospel throughout Antioch. Antioch is now known um, as, I'm going to try and get this pronunciation right, um, Antakya. For all the Turks in the room, I hope I got that right. It's in modern-day Turkey. Um, and it was one of the largest towns in the whole of the Roman Empire. Um, and it was one of the most influential cities um, in, uh, in the early century of Christianity. And a large, thriving church um, grew out of that place. So the early church is expanding, it's growing, and it's extending the, um, the welcome of Jesus to everyone. So many of these men and women in the early church that we're going to read about today. Many of these had followed Jesus around. They'd witnessed some of the things that he did and experienced all that he had done in welcoming the last, the lost, and the least. So they were transforming the known world with the good news of Jesus, person by person, town by town, country by country. And because of that, large numbers of Gentiles or non-Jews um, were coming to faith. And they were... Um, and they had, and this presented a whole bunch of issues for many of the Jews that were there already. Because as these Gentiles were being, uh, saying yes to Jesus, they were being filled with the Holy Spirit. But many Jewish Christians were adamant that they couldn't really be Christians unless they converted to Judaism. And for the men, this would have had a particularly painful implication. Now, how could those who were not part of God's covenant be included in God's welcome? So this took place over 2,000 years ago, but I believe there's so much in here that speaks to us today. So much wisdom um, and how we can welcome others in our own environments as well. So whether you're here um, and you're exploring this Jesus faith, you are so, so welcome. Or if you've been attending church or been around here most of your life, I really hope that what I share this morning is helpful. So we're going to turn to Acts 15 in just a moment, but can I just pray for us again and pray for myself as well. Lord, I thank you that you um, extend your welcome to everybody. Lord, I thank you that whether we're um, working out who this Jesus is or whether we've been following him for years, I want to pray that each of us would hear what you want to say.
say to us this morning. I thank you that you are standing there with your arms wide open, ready for us to embrace you and to know all the good things that you have for us. So speak through these words, speak through what you've uh, helped me prepare over this last week or two, and uh, be with us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have a Bible, these are still available in paper format if you want to grab one of these. Um, otherwise, turn to a device or you know your phone or whatever. We're going to read uh, from Acts chapter 15. The words will come up behind me. For those of you that don't have anything handy, um, we're going to start reading from verse 1. Okay. So, certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised, According to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders, to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter, it was always going to be Peter, wasn't it? He got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles should hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear. No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul, telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. And this is James, brother of Jesus, leader of the church in Jerusalem. He says, brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written, After this I will return and rebuild David's fallen tents. Its ruins I will rebuild, and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, things known from long ago. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the, mo from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city, city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas, called Barsabbas and Silas, men who were leaders among the believers. With them they sent the following letter. The apostles
apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greeting. And we're going to leave it there. But there's a good lesson. You can go on and read that in your own time. Um, So, you know, what the early church was experiencing, there was no precedent for this. They were making sense of what was going on in front of their very eyes. And this was the big issue of the day. Could non-Jews or Gentiles, could they even be saved? Could they become part of this Jesus movement? Now, 2,000 years later, there are still plenty of big issues in our world, aren't there? Take, I'm only going to say it once, but take Brexit. It's divided our country, hasn't it, by one single issue. We are living in a time where disagreement is the norm, where we see anger and hatred in our streets, sometimes in our homes, as well as in our, street, our seats of government. I just want to ask the question, has anyone here ever disagreed with anyone else? Has anyone? Even just a little bit? I'm only seeing one hand. I mean, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure, yeah, okay, that's better. Okay, maybe you even find yourself getting a little bit grumbly now and again. I want to introduce you to my friend. This is Mr. Grumble. So Mr. Grumble will take some of us back a few years. He complains about everything. He complains about the start of a new day. He complains about the countryside. I mean, it can get a bit pongy sometimes, but there's so much beauty there, come on. And even parties. He grumbles about everything. Now, I wonder what you find yourself grumbling about. Maybe you grumble about the weather. Or your neighbours starting a barbecue as you're putting out the washing. Or maybe you turn up at church and you find yourself grumbling about the worship leader again. Or even the preacher. That's not going to happen, surely. Um, or people who look at the Bible from a different viewpoint to you. People who have different views on drinking alcohol or on same-sex relationships. People who voted for leave or for remain. Those who view the world differently to us. You know, if we're not careful, we will start moralizing our own opinions, believing that that is the only way, and demonizing anyone who disagrees with us. You know, as we read in this passage, we see that what grumbling leads to, it leads to disputes, it leads to arguments, it leads to unhealthy attitudes. And it's not good for any of us. It's not good for any of us to live in that kind of place because it only damages us more than anyone else. You know, often it can feel like the safe way to deal with our issues is just by, you know, brushing them under the carpet or to talk about people behind their backs. But it's so unhealthy to do that. I believe there is a better way. And to do this, we might need to take a risk to carefully have difficult, often crucial conversations and deal with the issue head on. And I think this passage is really helpful for us because it demonstrates a really healthy way to deal with conflict. You know, when we have problems, it's so important to confront the issue at hand, to talk to the individuals involved, to hear both sides, but most importantly, to move on well. Can we still be friends at the end of this conversation? To hear what we see is both parties, they present their views to those in authority. So we've got James, Jesus' brother, he summarizes and he makes a decision. And everyone moves on with that decision, whether they agree with it or not. And so a letter is sent back to confirm the decision that has been made. They don't carry on grumbling. They don't stay like Mr. Grumble. They move on and 
be a better way move forward. So this morning, I want to talk a little bit about the most incredible welcome of all. And how as risk takers, as people full of faith, we can all live lives of incredible welcome just like Jesus. So you see, Jesus, he, he talked about, he demonstrated a scandalous welcome to all. And I mean scandalous. When you read through the Gospels, have you noticed who he spent his time with? Not the nice religious people in the temple, but tax collectors, prostitutes, Samaritans, like the enemy, people who were outcasts from respectable society. And this is the good news of Jesus, that everyone is welcome. If you don't hear anything else this morning, hear this, you are welcome. It doesn't matter what you've done, what anyone else says about you, or what you say about yourself. Jesus wants you to hear those words this morning, that you are welcome. And not just here, although we want to be a church that welcomes everyone. I, I hope this morning you got a nice warm welcome from someone in a car parking jacket. We have incredible welcome teams that, um, that w- welcome you hopefully with a smiley face and then with a cup of coffee. Donuts will come, don't worry. And so we have incredible teams that help us to do that. But more importantly, Jesus welcomes you. He longs to know you and he wants to invite you in. So whether you've been following Jesus for years or whether you've just been dragged in here for the first time today with the promise of a good lunch, you are welcome. So what does this passage tell us about taking a risk to welcome others? You know, the first thing I want to I pull out is that, you know, we, we need to love people that are not like us. And that's hard. You know, it's easy to love people that are like you who are from the same place or have the same interests, like they support the right football team. We won't go there. But, you know, loving people that are not like you, that takes a certain amount of risk. And Jesus, I believe, he took so many risks with the kind of people he spent time with, as I've said before. He spent time with the outcasts, with strangers. He ate with sinners. And I love this. When someone asks him, who is my neighbor? Who, I sh- who should I be showing a welcome to? He answers with a story, as was his way. That normally that's quite a dangerous thing when Jesus answers with a story. And he talks about the Good Samaritan. The story of a traveler who was left for dead on the side of a road. Two religious men walk by and they ignore him. But a Samaritan, one of Israel's enemies, an outsider takes care of him. That, Jesus says, is what a neighbor looks like. It's what, he, what it looks like to take a risk and to welcome others. It's, what, it's loving someone who is not like us. And it's a story of outrageous welcome and hospitality. And if you see that through the Gospels, that's pretty much the framework for Jesus' ministry. So I wonder, how many times do we spend, how much, how much time do we spend with people who are not like us? Maybe sometimes on a Sunday. You know, we have many different nations represented here at Riverside. There may be people that um, are from different backgrounds to you. I remember a little while ago, we, uh, we talked about sharing a table with someone not like us, someone from a different background. And that was incredible for some of us as we shared food around a common table with people who were different to us. But I believe that Jesus wants us to go on a journey from 
considering people who are not like us as a stranger to a friend, from other to another, from outsider to insider, from a statistic to a story. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I was walking around in Kingston with my family, and, and you know, we saw a guy who was sleeping rough, so, so we went over to him, and I, and I just offered him some food. But as I did that, there were two ladies just behind me, and, and they muttered something along the lines of, oh, they're all here illegally, they don't deserve to be offered food. Now, whatever your political or moral high ground might be, however right or wrong that situation might be, this was another human being, and it broke my heart. And you know, the reality is we never know the full story. We never know how someone ended up in that place, in that situation. So I was chatting to a friend of mine uh, just a couple of days ago, um, and he and his family, um, they have three kids already, um, and um, they've just started fostering a boy. Um, He's 16, he's from the Middle East. Um, And this 16-year-old had been completely written off as a troublemaker um, by the social services, He'd been, you know, marked out as a difficult individual. Those are the, the precise words they used. But he's become part of my friend's family over these last few months. And as he's done that, he's opened up a little bit, and he's shared some of his story of how he arrived in the UK. You know, he was separated from the rest of his family. He was transported on the back of a truck, and then a boat for safety. And it's a heartbreaking story, and they only know part of it. But my friend and his family have taken him into their home. They've welcomed him into their family, even let them, him play on their Xbox and things like that. He loved, they've loved him like he was their own son. I believe that's what it looks like sometimes, to take a risk and to welcome others in. You know, Nicky Gumbel, he's the pastor, um, he's the, sorry, the vicar at um, Holy Trinity Brompton in London, pioneer of Alpha. He said this, he said, There is a story behind every person, a reason why they are the way they are. Don't be quick to judge. Be kind and assume the best. Be kind and assume the best. I think this is so helpful. You know, the story of the gospel is loving people so much that we bring people out from a place of of statistics to a story, from a stranger to a friend, from other to another, from outsider to insider. That is taking a risk. You know, we live in a world with so much brokenness. We see it around us everywhere we go. And life can be hard. So as followers of Jesus, can I urge us all to not make it harder on each other, to not make it harder on other people? You know, the gospel, the good news of Jesus brings, as we sung about this morning, it brings freedom and it brings life. But so often I think Christians can be known for the opposite, if we're honest. You know, do we, like the Pharisees, mistake following tradition, structure, and legal requirements for obeying God? These guys back in this passage, they were actively making it harder for people to follow Jesus because of the traditions, the structure, and the rules that they thought had to be followed. So James says, don't make it hard for anyone. The world, I believe, longs for mercy, yet as Christians, 
we are so often known for rubbing the salt of judgment into its wounds. The more perhaps we know the Bible, the more we know what God wants, the more we can become frustrated with the world. So I wonder, how can we lay down this kind of attitude and extend the kind of welcome that Jesus extended to others? You know, Jesus spent, I think, about a third of his ministry fighting against this kind of attitude, all these conversations he had with religious leaders who were making it difficult for people. And you know, it's hard because it can often feel like we're right. And I'm not trying to go soft here, so don't worry, but, you know, we have to express so much love to people. You know, we have all in this world become critics and judges, you know, through social media, to reality TV shows. We don't like someone, we just vote them out, don't we? It's not a healthy attitude. You know, we used to value people with expert opinions. Now we value our own opinions over anyone else's. Judgment says that we are in the right in every situation, and our opinion is called for and must be expressed. And I think if we're honest, we all long for real judgment, which is probably why we shouldn't be the ones to judge. You know, whether we admit it or not, we are all biased by our own sin. You know, we can happy to be happy to judge ourselves by our own motives or the complexities of life that we're going through, yet we rarely offer the same grace to others. Now, Jesus, on the other hand, you know, Jesus, what one example of this. He's, Philip Yancey, the writer, he said that perfect sinless Jesus had every right to be repulsed by the behavior of everyone around him, yet he treated notorious sinners with mercy and not judgment. He treated notorious sinners, criminals, with mercy and not judgment. You know, Jesus was the only person in history who had the right to judge. And yet he demonstrated mercy to all he encountered. And, and when addressing our issues, Jesus talked a lot about logs and splinters. I don't we can we weren't going to read that today, but it's a really helpful analogy for us. You know, we can readily see the splinters in other people, yet we struggle to see the logs in our own eyes. So I wonder what logs in our own eyes today perhaps stop us from seeing our own brokenness and yet help us to see clearly the sin in others. John Tyson, he's a pastor over in New York, um, an Australian guy, really, really wise guy. He says this, he says, When I clearly see my own sexual brokenness, I am less likely to judge the LGBTQ community, and I cry to Jesus for the transformation of my own heart. When I clearly see my lack of compassion for the poor, I am less likely to judge others as lazy, and irresponsible, and I cry out to God for a more generous heart. When I see my own frustration and unmet longings, I am less likely to judge millennials as idealistic dreamers, and I ask God to revive my own sense of call. When I see my own sin, I am less likely to blame our culture for its decline, and I seek my own inner transformation and renewal. If I want to see clearly, the log must come out of my own eyes first. Incredibly challenging. If we want to see clearly, the log must come out of our own eyes first. Lord, Lord, forgive me. Lord, soften my heart. Help me to see clearly. Just like Jesus, I want to stop seeing the issues in others 
and see people created in his own image. See people that he loves so dearly. You know, throughout the Bible, we see that in God's eyes, mercy triumphs over judgment. You know, when we judge others, we simply see the issue. When we demonstrate God's mercy, we see the person. And mercy triumphs over judgment every time. You know, I believe the world needs to know and experience God's mercy. To know that this mercy wipes out judgment. We want people to know the extraordinary length that Jesus went to on the cross to die for them and to love them. To know and experience his acceptance. So for those of you here this morning, you feel like spiritual failures. Know God's mercy. To those who are burdened by the bitterness of sin, would you know God's mercy? To those who feel like they are never going to measure up, know God's mercy. To those of you who feel excluded and abandoned, know His mercy. To those of us who think we don't deserve it, know and experience His mercy. As the ancient prayer says, God have mercy on me, a sinner. So the final way I just want to pull out that we can take a risk and to welcome others is to go the extra mile. You know, these apostles literally went the extra mile to actively demonstrate their faith. They were sharing the gospel wherever they went, fulfilling Jesus' command to go into all the world. Now, if we go back to Jesus' last words here on earth in Matthew 28, he told his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. And this is what they did. Sharing the good news of Jesus, of the gospel, wherever they went, and looking after the poor. You know, the cross is like a huge welcome mat laid out to draw us in. And we are called, each one of us, to carry that welcome mat wherever we go, every one of us, every day, everywhere. So what could it look like for us to go the extra mile, to demonstrate our faith, and to continually create environments where people feel welcome, loved, and accepted? It might look different for each one of us. You know, as Alarim was sharing earlier, it might be around bringing tins of food to those in our community who are hungry. Make that a regular thing. It could be that, you know, you want to come out and help with our storehouse team to help them sort out food or serve customers. It could be um, helping with our English language classes, free classes that run each week to kind of bless the community that we are part of. Or it could be to pray for the sick person in your own workplace or to stop and talk to the homeless person that you pass every single day to look out for the lonely neighbor. Or maybe it's taking a risk and going out onto the streets and sharing the good news of Jesus there. You know, I love what God is doing through many people in our church going out on, on, into the streets. Teams go out to Hounslow, to Staines and Felton once a month. Why don't you take a risk and join them? Or maybe it's about welcoming people into your home, about showing hospitality to neighbors, family, friends. 
teaching and sharing life with others who perhaps aren't like you. Or even going the extra, extra mile. In three days this week, I had three conversations about people who had taken the step of wealth of fostering children into their own home. And, you know, many of these children who are in the fostering system, they've had broken, just horrendous starts to their life. And these families have taken these children into their home and loved them as their own. What an incredible thing to do to give a child a head start in life, to take that kind of step and inviting them to be part of a family where that's not worked out for them. Fighting against the brokenness of the world by demonstrating the scandalous welcome of Jesus. And and I just get the sense that there are people here this morning that might have been thinking about that. And if that's you, we would love to pray for you in a bit. We'd also love to pray for you if you're already doing that as well. But you know, as I come into land, I just, I just want to focus in on the first and most important welcome of all. I want to ask you, have you received his welcome? You know, without what we read in this passage here, we would all be outsiders. The Gentiles. But by the scandalous welcome of Jesus, he has drawn you into, towards him. He wants to know you. He likes you. He loves you. He knows what you've done. But Jesus is there for you. He will defend you. I think there are people here that have been hurt by the church as well. People have been broken by people. But Jesus loves you. He welcomes you today. 